Welcome to another edition of SEC Football and Beyond. I'm Neil McCready, Chris Landry with me as well, as you can see here today. It is Tuesday, November the 17th. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope you're getting ready for another week, getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving. So uh, holiday time, everybody's going to be traveling and things like that. Please uh, be safe. And um, in the event that you're uh, you're getting away for the for the holiday here soon, hope you have a uh, a very great one. Uh, Chris, before we get started, how are you? I am doing well. Um, you know, uh, a lot of things going on. Not many games, but one of the games that you were very closely watching and tied to led to our first coaching movement in the SEC. And so we've got that. We've yeah. got another game this week that's canceled. <laughs> you know, so we're starting down that path again, and a uh, lot to talk about there. Who's playing and whatnot, but a lot off the field as well with goings on at LSU. Uh, and then um, we'll get into talk with South Carolina and got a pretty good read on kind of where they're headed, at least at this stage. So, um, yeah, a lot to get to. It's just right. interesting. Let's do it this way. Um, Kentucky beat Vanderbilt. I don't know that there's a hell of a lot to say about that game. Kentucky got out to a lead. Vanderbilt, to its credit, came fighting back. I am uh, – in contact with someone fairly close to Vanderbilt. I, I believe that as of today, Vanderbilt is planning to make a change at the end of the season. Uh, I, I don't think Derek Mason is going to be there next season. I, I, I don't think he wants to be there, and I don't think they want him to be there. I think a change will be made. Kentucky got a win. They needed to win. They got a win. I don't know that there's a hell of a lot to say about that game. Feel free to expound for the next 48 minutes on that game but I I watched it and it was just it was kind of what you'd expect I think let me just say this yeah you're right it looked like uh first of all good fight by Vanderbilt getting back in and Kentucky played sloppy I will say this and I don't mean this to come across wrong um because I don't like you know as a coach you hate when coaches get fired but the one thing that I would had real concerns about Vanderbilt making a coaching change is just apathy so good for them if they feel like they want to put a change into the program, they put want to put more teeth into the program, good for them because they can do better, but do they want to do better? Or is it cosmetic changes? We're going to make a change because, yeah, that's the problem. The change at Vanderbilt or the, the change that needs to be made at Vanderbilt, the problem that's at Vanderbilt are deeper than that. It's the reason why they can't find quality coaches is because – the where that program has been and so look if they're willing to up their game which i'm i believe it when i see it and i'll have to see it again and again i'll have to put my hands on it in addition to seeing it because vanderbilt never does it so look good for them if they feel like they want to do things better because you know that fan base deserves better the players and people that go through their program deserve better. So, yes, that was uh, it was a game that I criticized, but yet it was ended up a little bit more competitive than I thought. Uh, Florida beats Arkansas 63-35, to I think was the final. Kyle Trask was uh, just remarkable. He had a great game. Uh, they didn't have Kyle Pitts. They proved that they have, they have weapons galore. Uh, in that offense and uh, Arkansas for as hard as Arkansas tries to play they get out athleted in games like that and Florida executed and uh, when when Florida plays at that level Arkansas had no chance so uh, the Gators get a win Arkansas uh, again put up a fight but but there was not enough 
They, they, they didn't have enough weapons to, to, to win that one. Uh, Florida continues to look like a team that, especially on one side of the ball, really interesting. On the other side of the ball, to your point, you said it a week ago, you said there's just not enough defensively for Florida to win a game against a team like an Alabama. And I think you were proven to be um, prescient there because they, while Florida is going to score points against Alabama on December the 19th, they can't stop them. Yeah, look, I think this this Florida team's explosive. I think even without pits, they're able to move the football. You see that they've got not generationally great weapons at receiver, but good ones. They can spread the ball around. They're very well coached. Trask is outstanding. Okay. He is just really poised. He's just really helped himself out a lot. And I again, I say it all the time, Dan Mullen does a great job accentuating what a quarterback does well and kind of hiding what maybe is not their strength. That's coaching. And, boy, he is really good with that. Of all the things he does, that's the thing he does best. So I was watching an NFL game last night that I don't want to spend any time talking about because it was hideous. (laughs) But obviously quarterback play in the NFL is a premium. Kyle Trask, is he a first-round pick? He'll end up when I, you know, when I get done with them, um, my grade will probably have him as a high second round grade, which will probably put him into the late first round for somebody. I think there's going to be about five or six guys at the quarterback position go in that late first round. I think he would be in that fifth or sixth group. Uh, He would be in that Mac Jones category of guys that have improved themselves a great deal, really good decision makers, very high grades in capacity and willingness to learn. And, um, yeah, I think he has a really good chance. Uh, it does. High first round? No. Is he Joe Burrow from last year? No. But he's got a chance to go there, yes. Then the other game, and the game that will lead into our South Carolina conversation, Ole Miss beats um, South Carolina – 59 to 42, I believe was the final. Mm-hmm. I covered it. I'd cover it. You think I'd remember the score? Yeah, it's, you know, I don't know. What's a few points here, there, and again? <laughs> yeah, that's it, so, though. You nailed it. We'll get to the, the Gamecocks. They made a decision to uh, to fire Will Muschamp on Sunday. Uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Let's, let's talk about Ole Miss for a second. Uh, 59 points, 708 yards of offense. Struggled to run the ball at times, but that passing attack was was remarkable. Matt Corral, first Ole Miss quarterback in history to throw for more than 500 yards in a game. I was talking to a a good friend of mine a minute ago. Um, If you throw the Arkansas game out, and I realize that's not how, that's not how it works. You don't get to throw out your worst game, but if you did, if you were allowed a mulligan and you look at Matt Corral's season, Chris, he's got three interceptions, one on a tipped ball against Florida, one on a, uh, last play of the game, desperation heave that sometimes ends in an interception, and that one did, and one on a bad read in the first quarter against Auburn. Got basically one pick that's his fault in six games for a quarterback who a year ago, the previous staff, gave up on him because they said he can't make good decisions. It speaks volumes, in my opinion, to the job that Lane Kiffin and Jeff Levy have done with him. Uh-huh. It speaks volumes to the young man himself. Didn't have a spring in a new system. Third system in three years at Ole Miss. 
uh, didn't have, as we know, no one did, didn't have a typical off season, all that thing, all that stuff. And yet you look at where he is today and it's remarkable. I mean, I, I've always believed that Corral was the best quarterback on that roster. I've said it for a while. I, I, it, it cost me some advertising dollars if we're being honest. Uh, it, it, it cost me some, some, uh, not credibility, but it, it, some people pushed back last year when I said this going to John Rice Plumley was a mistake. Um, the, all that being said, I mean this what where this kid is this November as opposed to last November is absolutely remarkable. Coaching matters; it matters a lot in development of players, being able to utilize. I think some good weapons. Um, I mean, Elijah Moore is really, really an underrated player, really special. Matt Corral is a kid that's been around enough, and I think this is, as we talked about with Dan Mullen, you've got in Lane Kiffin a guy that does a really good job. I've said it before. He can take, and I don't mean this, this sounds like a, 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 I don't mean this as a negative to the young man, but he can take a guy like a Blake Sims who has really, very limited ability as a quarterback and get the most out of them. That's what you need to do as a coach. And and he lane the full package as a coach, that story is to be written down the road. But in terms of his ability to get out of the quarterback position and to build an offense, it's pretty good. And I was looking at it and, and kind of grading it out. There's no doubt that Alabama and Florida's offenses are great and their teams are better. Ole Miss's offenses is in that category. I mean, I would put it third, but they're in that group. And it, there's a bigger and, – and I, and I think A&M's offense has been really good. Another well coach, it's different. It's built a little different. But those are four offenses that are really good. In a league where everybody's trying to figure things out and people are – there are four offenses that are playing at a high level, and Ole Miss is one of them. And I think that it is a lot to do with, with Lane. And and I think Jeff is doing a good job, but kind of under Lane's tutelage of how they want to do it. They do a great job of isolating guys. They do a good job with formation, formations and pre-snap movements to give strong indicators. Basically, it it gives you a chance to read the defense's mail uh, pre-snap so that it becomes an easier game to play. It's not nothing against any quarterback or match. Sure. It's just as a lot easier to play it when you can have a real good idea where to go based upon what you're seeing. It's like teaching the quarterback, look, don't worry about the reads. We will design it for you so that you can be really decisive, and that's what he's always done. I mean, look, he did it with Jalen Hurts, and, you know, I think Jalen had some limitations and as well as a passer, but got a lot out of him. He's doing a phenomenal job. This is a, this offensive performance was, was really, really good. Um, just, you know, they, they had ball possession. They had explosive plays. Um, and you look, know, and it's called what it is. They they took advantage of some big time coverage breakdowns. What ultimately ended up being the the final straw, and 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 will. 
Yeah, I want to dig into a couple things on Ole Miss before we get to South Carolina, and then we'll get mm-hmm. to some other things. We're going to talk about LSU's off-the-field stuff. We're going to talk about what's happening with the contact tracing. There's a lot we're going to get to, but we, we've got some time. And I want to dig into this a little bit because mainly I'm, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you're, you're right. First of all, what you said about Kiffin is it, it's yet to be seen. You know, Can he build a full program? Can, can he sustain over the course of years? Can he recruit? the type of defensive players that you have to have to complement an offense. All of those things are – the jury is out. We, we can't say that he can. We can't say that he can't. We don't know yet. What, what I was impressed with him and with that offense on Saturday is that their defense wasn't stopping anybody. Ole Miss's defense was not stopping South Carolina. And it's kind of like a baseball pitcher. You know, there's a difference between cruising through a, an, a shutout when you're the pitcher and your offense has given you eight runs you know, you're kind of carefree. And there's there's a difference between that and the pressure of pitching in a game where it's nothing, nothing. Fifth inning, sixth inning, seventh inning, where, hey, if I hang one curveball here, I lose. You know what I mean? There's a total difference. And they were, they were playing in a shutout. They were, you got to keep, they were pitching in a shutout where the other team's pitching a shutout too. And I know that doesn't make sense in a high-scoring football game, but you know my point. Every possession, there was pressure. Hey, if we don't get seven here, we might lose the game. We have one three and out. We might lose the game. There's a lot of pressure there, and I thought that spoke volumes to their ability just to keep a game going. And then ultimately, Ole Miss made a couple of stops and um, 59 points or 59 points, 708 yards. Let me ask you this about Elijah Moore. I wrote this on Sunday. I thought Lane helped Elijah make a lot of money on Sunday. Put him at running back, had four carries, basically eight, nine yards a carry, had one carry that got called back uh, on, a, I guess, a, a hold call. Uh, versatility matters in the NFL. Elijah Moore showed that he has some. How much, uh, much kind of money did, did – what, what, not how much money did he make. What, where does his draft grade today? Oh, I, it, it's getting better. It's uh, incomplete at this point. You know, he's a tough guy. Um, I'm not ready to go that, you know um, – He's Steve Smith yet or anything like that, but he's, he's got some of those build qualities that he is a guy that is tough as nails. Um, he's a strong runner after the catch. I think he's got some versatility to his game and, you know, a lot of what, you know, Lane likes to do, he likes to do and get guys the ball in space. And again, that's part of what helps the quarterback out, right? I mean, Hey, he simple throws, easy throws, and it's all part of it. Uh, I think he's got really good versatility. I think he can be a guy that's physical enough to line up outside, but yet he's got some slot characteristics. He's got some inside capabilities. So, um, uh, you know, I've liked him. I'm kind of looking at my entire grade on him overall. Um, He's just been a really improved player. And, again, I think that's all part of as you improve your offense – and there's a big reason for that. You get the ball in the hands of playmakers and their ability to make plays in space. He can do that well. I, I just like his toughness. I like his intensity, too. I think he's, he's that type of guy. I, I think that's – look, you always say, you know, how do you do this? How do you I, – I, at this point, I wanted to make sure, you know, I had him grade a little bit higher than Ely and Corral overall this year. And, and um, I, I think uh, – you know, but uh, by the way, getting some good play in the offensive lineman, I, I think he's been outstanding to, to answer your question. And uh, I think can be really good at the next level. Um, 
you're not going to be again the, the the highest graded guy, but I think it's going to be a really a make it player in their in their ability, this versatility to line up in different you know spots, the X um, and the Z receiver in particular. Kiffin brought this up yesterday in his weekly Zoom call with reporters about hoping Corral returns. I think it was a little bit of a throwaway line. There's there's no scenario in your mind where Matt Corral's ready to this would be a would it be a mistake for him to declare Well, got- in terms of in terms of quarterback development, he would benefit by coming back. There's no question about it that another year would help him in a year where there's a lot of good guys. We just talked about two of them in the conference, but you know, you've got Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. You've got a lot of guys. Um, I think he could help his development. Um, and that is the thing that I always stress more than anything. Everybody says, yeah, but draft stock, you don't know what the hell the draft stock is. Don't, don't, you know, because your grades going to take you to a place. And I think his grade can be improved by coming back. I don't know what he wants to do in his personal situation and all those things or things I try to respect and say, you know, you do what you got to do. And people will say things like agents and agent runners will say things. Oh, come out earlier because the sooner you come out, the quicker you get to your second contract. And my explanation always is, um, you better make sure that you get to a second contract. So if you're not developed optimally, you, you you may not get that second contract. So get to where you can be a little bit further along. So I think he would benefit from another year. I have no idea what he's thinking. All right, let's talk about South Carolina. Ole Miss wins that game 59-42. to 42. It was an embarrassing defensive performance for the Gamecocks. Ole Miss got 59 and could have scored more, I think. Um, 708 yards, like I said, at the end of the game. Uh, you could tell body language. I think Will Muschamp knew what was coming, and sure enough, less than 24 hours later, it came. He was let go at, at South Carolina. Mike Bobo will be the interim coach to finish the season. Can I take this from a couple of directions? First, just where did it go wrong for Will Muschamp, in your opinion? And then, of course, I want to spend more time looking forward because, like you, I've heard a number of things about South Carolina search, and I think it's a little further along than than some people might think it might be. Well, I think where it went wrong for Will, um, you know, the, the recruiting has been good from relatively speaking at South Carolina, the issue has always been continues to be, if you're going to build a program, you're going to build a, you know, a great defense. It has to be great. It hadn't been great. There are times where they've had good players. There are times where they've played good defensively on a situational basis here or there. Um, but they've not been great. And offensively, they've just not been good at all. It's, you know, it's the inability at Florida, and mostly when you get a second chance, you're able to improve your overall view of that head coach position. And he just didn't get better at fixing the offense. Look, it's not his job to fix the offense. He's not an offensive guy. It's his job to put that in place and to be able to step back and see it. And I've said this, and I'm very curious but to see – 
how a Kirby Smart handles it because Georgia's on a different level, but they've got some of the same traits. Ironically, teammates at Georgia, defensive guys, defensive backgrounds, defensive coordinators, they believe that to win, you've you you've got to protect the football on offense. You've got to run it and be great defensively, and that's it. And, and today, you've got to be more than that. And he's not been able to get more than that out of the offense. Well, they've had some good players. They've had some good receivers. Where has been the dominant running game with Will on offense? It hadn't been there. Where's been the consistent player? It just a lot of changes, a lot of trying. It just hasn't worked. And he's had quite a bit of time. And I said it. Yeah, going into the year on the surface, it seems like, well, the appetite to make changes may not be there. There's a problem when it doesn't get better and there becomes a point, we've talked about it, to where it's too expensive to not make a move. And I said it last week, Will, don't go in and lose to a coach in his first year that seemingly has his program in much better shape than you do in year, what, five or six? It just is going to be a bad look. In the end... It came down to what? I mean, you've got an offense that's awful and a defense that just got exposed and that it just got embarrassed. And I think there's always a final straw. It's never, well, he, he got fired because he lost to Ole Miss. No, he got fired because it was a final straw. You, 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 you know, if you beat LSU on the road, you play well and you lose this game, you, 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 you might able to survive it. It's the accumulation of doesn't seem to get better. You've you, you got a wounded LSU team. Maybe you're ready and you can, you know, combine a nice win with another win. Boom, you get blown out by an LSU offense that hadn't been consistent. And then you have this. No, it was an embarrassing loss. And, and it's a final straw that I think was kind of dictated from above that, look, this is, this is going to be a tough situation to get out from if we don't make a move. In the end, the other thing we need to know, make people aware of that the buyout is over four or five years. He's going to get $147,000 a a month. it's, It's over, you know, so it's not, they don't have to come up with $13 million right now. It comes out over five years. Yeah. Or four years, I you know, forty nine months. He gets two hundred and forty nine months. So, so that that is allows you to pay that off over time, which is a little bit easier to do than if you had to write a check for thirteen million. And most contracts are that way, not all of them. And so that's important to know and important to understand. Um, they've got some money from private sources, a lot of it to do that. Now they've got to go out and, and put together a staff. It's going to be a $30 million turnaround. Yeah. You know, all things considered. So let's go there. They've, uh, they've started the search. Mike Bobo is not getting the job. He's finishing the season. Um, the name that I heard the most on Sunday night, the media keeps talking about Hugh freeze, a lot of Hugh freeze, a lot of Hugh freeze. And I think freeze is on their list, but I think, this is Billy Napier's job to turn down. Yeah, that's who they're going to hire. Um, it's going to be an upset at this point. Um, if it's not Billy, um, and I think Billy wants the job, and I think that's who they're going to end up hiring. Um, 
I, you know, they're, it, 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 the, the way I would discuss, and, and listen, I'm on record saying, I, I think, I think Philly's a good coach. I think he can do a good job there to me. I think you can be a good coach, but is that the best hire? I, I think from a f- pure football standpoint, if you've got a chance to hire a Hugh Freeze and you want to, you want to be special at South Carolina, that's a deal you need to get done and you need to get done pretty quickly. And apparently there's not the appetite for doing it. Um, they're going to vet him and they're going to look into it. But at the end, the basically two guys that are, you know, the main guys, the, the new president chasm is, and I say new, he's been here about a year, West point guy. And yep. obviously the Ray Tanner is just not, yep. They just, they're, they're the, the, it's not a sizzle. Hire. Well, freeze would be a sizzle hire sizzle, good sizzle, bad, whatever it would be. That's not why you hire him. You hire him because the guy's a proven head coach in this league that could, I think potentially take South Carolina to a different level. I think Billy Napier could do a good job, you know, and I think he's come a long way from being the 28 year old coordinator at Clemson that got fired. And uh, I mean, I, I just think there's, I think there's not very often you get a chance to get a guy like a Hugh Freeze. I guess that's my point. He's out there because of some off the field issues and look, I, I'm going to be, you know, honest. I, I know Hugh. I don't know him. I don't know all the – I would think he'd be the safest hire you can get. I could not imagine him taking a wrong step again because I think he knows what happens if it does. I, I don't think there's a risk. I think this is just more optics. This is just a little bit more of a – turning up your nose of what, what maybe some people might think. I think it's, I'm going to say it. I think it's a little gutless by South Carolina. I think they're going to go safe and hope that Billy, you know, could be the guy that maybe could do it. I, I don't, you know, I think that South Carolina has been fortunate in the past to land the Lou Holtz that was looking for a place to land, to land Steve Spurrier, who had struggled in the NFL. And, you know, they got two guys with a real good pedigree. They had a chance to get a guy that that had a lot more juice, a lot more gas left in the tank as a coach that's a proven coach. I think this is a chance to put South Carolina to – for South Carolina to really make some noise like he did at, at Ole Miss and – uh, there is not an issue with the the SEC. The SEC is going to be fine with it. I think South Carolina is a little bit gutless in this move. Personally, I I I I don't know any way else to put it. I could put it nicer, but I'm just I don't want to parse words. I I think that's a home run hire, and I think they're messing it up. When I heard that Ray Tanner was going to be the guy running the the search, I immediately said, "Well, he's not hiring Hugh Freeze." And when I found out more about their new president slash chancellor, whatever, like you said, West Point guy, former player, all of those things, I said, this is not going to be a Hugh Freeze hire. It's just it's just not. And, in fact, I think Freeze is third at best on their list right now. Yeah, I'm not – I got to tell you, I, I am not 
Um, I mean, I like him and love his dad. I, I, I am just not sold on if South Carolina. I don't think you make this move to hire Shane Beamer. Um, I think Jamie Chadwell is 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 a good coach, and I think Will Healy is a good coach. Again, I I um I, I think that there's some good candidates there, and and I think they're fortunate, and some of them got some ties to the area, but I just don't. To me, I, I I think clearly if I were ranking them for this job, I think Billy would be a clear number two in my mind. And I think, you know, again, safe, and that's what they're going to do. So let me, let me throw a couple of wild cards at you that I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is Sarkeesian. Mm-hmm. Another is Joe Brady, former LSU assistant, now doing a really good job with the Panthers. I don't know whether Joe would want that job, whether he would be interested in that job. The money would be huge, obviously. He'd have to listen. Either one of those guys make any sense at all? Let me tell you, Joe Brady is is you, – you wouldn't believe the struggle I had to get him to come from being a low-level guy at the Saints to LSU. He is an NFL guy. He doesn't like recruiting. He's not really into that. He's an X is an O guy. He's going to be a head coach in the NFL. So, no. I mean, I don't. I don't even think that's a good hire for South Carolina. He's just not into it. He didn't do any recruiting. Didn't like any recruiting at LSU, and it was kind of a, you know, the the one thing I knew him, but I knew some really good friends that that knew him really well. The big selling point was: look, if you go to LSU, you can write your ticket quicker in the NFL because he was down on the totem pole in new Orleans and, and Sean Payton told him he was, it was a mistake leaving to go to LSU. They'd be better off staying in the NFL. And that's why he really resisted it, but said, you do a good job there and there's some talent. You can write your ticket and, and fortune for him, it worked out. I do not see that at all. And I don't even think that's a, that would be a good fit as a head coach. I think you need to do more there. Um, I'm sorry. Who else did you mention? Steve Sarkeesian. Oh, Steve uh, Sark. Um, Sark would be interested. Uh, uh, interesting. I don't know how interested he would be. Look, I think this South Carolina is a good job. I don't think that if your people said that Hugh Freeze is going to wait to a bigger job or Sark, I, I think this is about as good a job as you're going to get. I mean, if you think about it, is you know, does Sark think if he stays there? and he continues to do a good job with this offense, does he think he can maybe be the guy? Somebody's going to have to replace Saban. Who's that guy going to be? You know, maybe it's Mario Cristobal out at Oregon. You know, I, you know, I, I don't – how badly does Sark want to be a head coach now? Could have had the Colorado job last year. Wasn't fit, and I don't blame him, particularly the timing. He seems – Pretty comfortable uh, being right there with Nick. And I don't know. I don't know if the timing or the job is to his liking, but I certainly <clears throat> would put him in that list. And, you know, I, listen, I think there's I, – I am not a good one to answer this. Everything has gone well with Sark. I'm not someone that really ever – drink or likes to drink. I don't like the taste of it. And I don't know, have not been around people who've been alcoholics or dealing with it. He's dealt with that. I, 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 everything I hear that 
everything is good there. I don't know what that really means, though. I don't really understand that from, okay, is that, I I hear that once you're an alcoholic, it's always a battle. I I worry a little bit for him. Does he get in a high pressure head coaching job? Is that something that comes back? Or or is that, is it, is it completely behind him? I I don't know how to, I'm not a professional in that area. I don't think that's an issue in, in, so I'm hoping that, um, look, I tell this all the time and I don't mean to be flippant, you know, working for Nick could make you drink if, if, if you don't, if you don't want to, if you, so if he's able to handle that pressure, maybe he can, if that's what he wants. I like Sark. I think he's good. I, I don't know. Um, you know, it's been, it's been a little while. I thought did a good job at Washington, got him back to USC. Things were going pretty well there. Didn't go well at USC. I, you know, I don't know. To me, if you're going to take a risk, take a risk on you, Freeze, in my mind. All right. One of the things that was talked about going into the season was, hey, it's a pandemic year. It's a COVID year. All that matters is that you get to the TV, you get to the TV money. You get to the games. You get the games, and no one's going to get fired. Well, now that one's been fired, does that open the floodgates for others to get fired? I mean, I'm talking about – we already mentioned Derek Mason. Uh, I've heard a name there. I'm not at liberty to say it. I would say that it would be splashy and risky, but it's a it's a big name. Um, could anything perceivably happen at, at Tennessee? And then the other one that as we kind of get to, I know they're one year removed from the absolute top of the mountaintop. The fall, at least from my perspective, for LSU, and I'm not even talking about on the field, off the field, on the field in general, looks to be precipitous including this latest uh, story from USA Today about the Title IX violations and um, sexual assault on campus that appears to have been, um, at least from a documentation standpoint, somewhat overlooked, somewhat ignored, somewhat brushed to the side. It's a terrible look for Ed Orgeron and his program. Is there any scenario where LSU could cut bait? On Tennessee, I don't think anything's going to happen with Jeremy this year. Look, I mean, if they lose the rest of their games, including Vanderbilt, and somebody says we're writing the check and this is how it's going to be, and I I mean, I don't think you can 100% rule out anything. I don't think that's going to be the case. It's going to have to be forced on Phillip because Phillip is not going to turn around after giving him an extension, you know, I mean, just right at the start of the season or a month before, I forget, now getting rid of him. So I, I think. I think that is a you better win next year or else situation in Knoxville. That's what I think. And and again, let's let the rest of the season play out. That could change that, but I don't I don't see that. Nothing's going to happen at LSU uh, uh, unless it is found out off the field, and it is you know you can fire somebody with cause. And and it it has to be all of this has to be just. So they're not going to pay him off. They're not that they, they they're not doing that. Uh, and, and you know, I think that it would have to be again. It would have to be something that they get caught with. He gets caught with proving it and all that. And after watching Will Wade skate, I don't think they'll be able to pin anything. <laughs> I mean, you know, I I, uh, I I so I would say no and no. Tennessee's maybe. A little bit more possibility. 
with LSU, you know, after one year, um, that's not even going to be something that is disappointed as the fans are and the ones that are maybe not quite convinced that Ed's the consistent winner, even those fan bases, is one of their guys that won the title last year. I think last year saved him, and I think to the point where if things are found out, it's going to be pinned on somebody else other than Ed and somebody. So I, I see zero unless there's like, you know, pictures and audio tapes that would just, you know, completely, completely say it, you know, and, and I can't even in, envision that. I mean, it would have to be a, it would have to be a, you know, speaking of that, it'd have to be a Hugh free situation. Yeah. It would have to be a Hugh free situation and maybe more. Maybe more. It's an instant beyond Orgeron, though. It goes, but it goes above him. I mean, this is an institutional control mm-hmm. thing. This is not. This is not all. You can't pin all on Ed Orgeron. Correct. This, this is above him. This is. This is institutionally. They knew they had issues, or should have known. They they knew they knew they had issues with Darius Geis. They knew they had issues with Drake Davis. They knew, according to this USA Today story. And and listen, anytime Nancy Armour's name is on a byline, I'm paying attention. They they knew on this USA Today story that there were other players. There were there were sexual assault allegations that were not properly handled uh, institutionally. It's a for LSU, the university. It's a terrible look. Yeah, and again, um, that's what I'm saying. It's okay. You've got different presidents and different administrators involved. So it's very easy to say, oh, yeah, this is awful. We can't believe they, you know. And if it turns out to it pretty easy to fire a chancellor, a vice chancellor, people. Um, And if you want to protect the head coach and say, oh, he didn't know, you know, there's ways to do that. We know that. And I think that's where we are there. Let me say this. because, you know, this stuff has come out, but there's this whole thing of what did they know and when did they know it and how bad it was and what have you. And no one quite knows the ever knows quite the answer to that. But let, let me just say this. People don't know that that maybe listen to this. My background is as an NFL scout and, and I do consulting work in the league. I you hear things, but hearing things, I, I'm not an investigator. It's not what I do. I mean, I get information that, that that's, you got to follow up with it in the NFL. We have investigators. You don't have to have a record. You don't have to have been arrested. You don't have to have anything on campus. That's provable, whatever there's information that we get from League officials, former FBI folks that know things. Let's just say they know things. You may not know all the details, but you know stuff that's going on. When Darius Geis dropped in the draft, there was a lot of folks, including a lot of folks in the media in Baton Rouge. Oh, this is, a, you know, it's bad. It's a shame you're doing that to that poor kid. Good kid and a bad background. And, you know, the. There was stuff there. Exactly what, I I don't know. But I can tell you there was stuff. 
seen it, read it, still got it, files in one of those books there, up there a little bit, okay? What did Ed know? Ed was not the head coach. Ed was an assistant coach at that time. And Ed was kind of a mentor to Darius guys. He actually spent some time living in Ed's house. He was a, he mentored the young man. You know, what did Ed know? How much you knew? Don't know. But Ed knew something. And the reason I know it is we as NFL scouts said, hey, Ed, this is what our investigation uncovered. You know, can you shed some light on it? So if he didn't know and it was, surprised when we told him he certainly knew after we told him you know he knew that there was a rumor out there now maybe they investigated it maybe they investigated it hard and found nothing maybe they didn't investigate it so hard because maybe they didn't want to find out there was a lot of background a lot of baggage with Darius guys and yet I mean to the tune there were guys that just back this you know in the media that just back this and all oh, the league this and and I'm like, guys, I hate to break this to you, media. We know a lot more because we're, we're not here to report stuff. We're here to, you know, we we got, if you lie to us in the media, it's going to hurt your kids down the road. It's going to hurt your ability to get jobs in the league and your system. You find stuff out that, that people are paid professionals to find stuff out. So, again, it's pretty obvious some stuff went on. And again, how much did each individual know? They all got an answer to that, but it's whether they're going to be able to pin it on Ed or it's what it's going to cost. And how it's a it's definitely a bad look. Um, and it's on the heels of we just talked, gosh, two weeks ago about the issue with the the guy that 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 funneled money from the the uh, Our Lady of the Lake Children's Hospital and funneled money to players and. So you got NCAA stuff that they uncovered because, you know, they've, they've, uh, they're paying rent. The NCAA is in Baton Rouge just on following Will Wade alone. And so that brings stuff, you know, more stuff to the attention. So you've got that. Now you got this PR hit on top of what's been an awful season. Um, and just little things that may not mean a whole lot in the perspective of, you know, and I don't want to get into Ed's divorce because, quite frankly, there's a lot more to it. And and quite frankly, um, people that will assume that maybe uh, there's always two sides to a story, and boy, is there a side to the other side that 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 may will paint Ed maybe as the victim here more than anything else. But it's not a good look when you're you you're as we call it. Uh, you look like you've had a few pops in you and you're laying in the bed and you're a head coach and the those little things that may be, all right, he's not married anymore. He can do what he wants. Yeah. You just don't take a selfie or be drunk to where somebody can. It looks like it's it's look, bad judgment. Yes. It's, 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 it's lacking polish. It's lacking the ability to understand that you're the head coach. And, and look, I get it. Is drunk. If he would have realized what he was doing, he wouldn't have done it. That's all the more reason you got to be smart. And I get it. And then, you know, you, you, this is on the heels of being quoted in another article about, you know, what he told one of his players about all girlfriends leap yeah. around. And I, you know, th those sorts of things, it's bad looks. W what is it going to amount to? 
let's just call it what it is. If they're unbeaten and playing well, it, it gets it gets excused, you know. But obviously, what it does, Neil, is set the stage for. Let's see what happens. Um, it's a next year's another year. Things don't get better. It's going to be a further indication of, hey, man, two years ago was a one-shot wonder, magical, and that ain't going to happen again. And, you know, but that's kind of where that is. And there are a lot of people that, you know, that were not for hiring Ed, and some people were. Um, And obviously, a lot of those people came around last year. Because people recognize, hey, Ed's not the the heavy lifter there, but he hired well. But as I've always said, if you're a guy that's going to have to have somebody facilitate your success, you better hire well and you better hit well all the time, and it's got to come together. And if it doesn't come together, this is what happens. It kind of falls apart, and maybe it can rebound. Maybe it'll get back. You know, there's who knows. But it's going to be an up and down because Ed's up and down. Ed is only as good as his assistants. And, oh, yeah, all coaches are – no. No, some coaches can coach the coaches and have a stability where the seesaw is not up and down. The seesaw is like, yeah, yeah, kind of – you know, there's a balance there that you can make it. And that's that's the difference between being a great head coach. And and it's – you know, it's – look, it, it, it's unfair, but when you look at what he was an interim at USC, boy, he I'm in. Give all my defensive lineman cookies. And it's exciting. Good big win at USC. Then he gets out coached two games. I mean, it's just that's a path. The Ole Miss situation when he was there, first time head coach. Okay. Had more experience. He's better at it. He delegates. He's got more resources. But again, it's going to be a hit or miss. This year's a miss. And you wonder a little bit. He is a recruiter, he's always recruited on the edge. At Ole Miss, at Tennessee, at Miami, at Syracuse, at USC. What do I mean on the edge? Okay, yeah. Things that go on in recruiting. He's a great recruiter. He makes sure guys get taken care of, if you know what I mean. Well, sometimes you get caught and sometimes you sweep things under the rug and sometimes you look the opposite way. Sometimes you with the NCAAs in town. That's all. It's just going to times where it works out for you. You get certain guys and then sometimes it gets you. It just the way it is. We'll get to uh, the games. There are at least some games as of this moment that are still on the schedule. Who knows what it's going to look like by the time we get back together on Friday. But anyway, before we do that, let me tell you this podcast also brought to you by Jupiter Security Systems. They're based in Madison, Mississippi. And uh, they provide your business with the help desk, allowing you to get software at a much cheaper price than you would pay going directly to Microsoft or the different cybersecurity services. Jupiter Security Systems offers businesses the full Microsoft 365 suite, email, spam protection, and they monitor your workstations and servers. They don't see your data, by the way, but they'll know if malicious applications get installed on your computers. Jupiter can set up remote monitoring on a computer regardless of the location, so don't spend money on getting your employees new laptops to work remotely. Instead, let Jupiter monitor their home computers and protect your data wherever you choose to work. Jupiter offers cybersecurity and monitoring. It's ADT for your computer systems and data. It's very affordable, flat price, no hidden add-ons. For more information, call Eric at 
888-900-9583 or email info, I-N-F-O at jupitersecurity.net or visit jupitersecurity.net. We're also brought to you by Blue Sky. Blue Sky believes in being fast, fresh, and friendly. Through the thoughtful layout and cleanliness of their stores, Blue Sky hopes to provide customers with a fast and easy buying experience. From services to products, Blue Sky plans to keep things fresh, always provide the freshest flavors of their brand name products and the best services available. They even bring in some of the newest products on the market to their stores to provide an even better customer experience. A smile can say it all, and at Blue Sky, they want to show their customers that they care about them and their shopping experience. They'll always strive to improve their efforts to accomplish exactly that. So check out Blue Sky today at any of their 48 locations across the Southeast. All right, uh, Chris, we've got some uh, got some games on the schedule this week. We've got um, one cancellation or postponement, which I think is going to be a cancellation, quite frankly, because I don't know how this game gets worked out now. Ole Miss and Texas A&M were scheduled to play in College Station at 2.30 on Saturday. That game has been postponed because of Texas A&M's contact tracing. They have one positive test on their roster this is insane man this is this is senseless the way that we're doing this this is this i'm just going to say it if this is going to be the policy basketball season's not going to happen baseball season's not going to happen there are a lot of people out there that love college baseball and love college basketball and you're in for real disappointment if we can't if we can't get to a place where it's like, hey, okay, there's there's a more sensible way to do this. So it so, sounds like in basketball, they'll just say, hey, take the time off. We'll take all 300, I think it's 327 basketball programs. We'll, we'll meet you in Indianapolis. We'll have uh, March Madness for more than a month. And we'll put everybody in a bubble. We'll just play one month. That's that's about that. That's all they care about. We'll make the money for the tournament, and that's it. And uh, yeah, because without uh, they're, they're out of business. They have to have that money. Well, and uh, you know, I don't know if you do the twenty percent, but twenty percent on a college basketball is, and even what Rupp Arena. I mean, what would that be? You know, how many two thousand? I mean, nothing. How many people they get? Rupp is what eighteen, so that'd be thirty six hundred people. I, okay, so you know. Not going to do a whole lot. No, no, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, no, it's tough, and AM's having a good season, and this is, you wonder, this just kind of takes the air out of the balloon of, of their season. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a, a good season. It's a good team, and you wonder with the rhythm, and look, it didn't seem to affect Florida a great deal. They, they, they came back. Uh, don't know. Don't know. But, yeah, that's down one game, and I'm hoping, you know, hoping for good things on the rest of them. So what are you hearing down there about when the LSU for <laughs> LSU Alabama game will be made up? I don't know. Um, you know, it came out, uh, I, I think because, I mean, everybody's responding to that with, because that's, Oh, I think we're going to play somehow. Someone, I, I think he was asked that because I think there's been a lot of narrative of what you said and you brought it out. And the more I thought about it, I mean, to be honest with you, as a coach, as a football guy, I, I I'm thinking I want to play, and I, you know I'm I'm so busy, and they got to get to the next film, next report, and all that. Thought about it, yeah, you know what? And you you were talking about Lane Kiffin's comment. I had no doubt in my mind, as much as Ed thinks of recruiting, there's no doubt in my mind that getting drilled by 
Alabama was not going to be a, we know it wasn't going to be a good look for LSU, but that I don't think they shed it a t- shed a tear at all about not playing that game. I, so I don't know when I don't know when you play the game. I mean, I really don't. I mean, you tell me. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, everybody's got a calendar. When so do you play it? You gonna you gonna not play the Florida LSU game? What's interesting? What's interesting to me, Chris, is this: is that if you talk to people in Baton Rouge, they'll tell you that Ole Miss is playing in Baton Rouge on December the nineteenth, and if you talk to people in College Station, they'll tell you that Ole Miss is playing in College Station on December the nineteenth. Um, not to be flippant, but Ole Miss is not playing both LSU and Texas A&M on December the 19th. There, There is probably a way to make this happen, but it involves moving It involves moving a game. I guess, who is LSU scheduled to play next week? I know they're scheduled to play Arkansas this week. Who's LSU scheduled? Uh, they're scheduled to play on the 28th. It's uh, A&M. Yeah. Got Arkansas this week and A&M. Yeah, so I, I don't I don't know how this all gets done. I, well, I, and, and let's call it way it's it's priorities. So, I mean, A and M is going to be in the outside looking in, probably in the playoffs, but but they still could be in the mix. That game is a priority o- over, you know, Ole Miss or LSU people who are out of it, and I'm talking national playoffs. Yeah, and that that's most people are out of it. I mean. Well, there's only three teams in the SEC that are still in it. That's correct. So AM getting a game in is a priority more of a priority. So the answer is Ole Miss AM is a bigger priority than Ole Miss LSU. Okay. It is. You yeah. know, because of AM. I mean, it 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 wouldn't matter for AM to to play as many games as possible in case there's a spot open and AM could make a case for the second team in the SEC. If that's the case, it, it would behoove them to play as many games and win as many games as possible. It just, it just is. And certainly Alabama playing LSU is important for Alabama, not for LSU, but for Alabama. And, and I don't think it affects Alabama because if Alabama wins the SEC, they're going in, but I still think that game matters CBS wants that game. No, you got to be kidding me. CBS loses another. Well, it loses a primetime game with the Masters last week, and, and leading into it, now they're going to lose the two thirty game this week. Yep. You got to. I'm. You know, I, I I haven't looked at the contract. They they obviously the SEC's got to lose money. Obviously, CBS is get some money back off not having those games. I mean, you can't help but wonder if CBS in those meetings says, "Hey, um, you know." Hate to use this big word here, but there might be a little bit of a breach of contract. If well, I, we talked about it. I mean, I got to not to not to interrupt, but one of the rumors that's out there, and I think there's some validity to it, is that one of the contact tracing people at Texas A&M who would not be able to play this week is Kellen Mond. And I wonder, and I can't help but wonder, and I'm not making an accusation, but I can't help but wonder, is if it weren't Kellen Mond, and it was the third-string offensive guard. If Texas A&M would be saying, "Yeah, let's play," because they need to play games. Texas A&M, their only Texas A&M's only path to the playoff is nine and one, and looking damn impressive doing it. 
missing an opportunity to play is not in their best interest because Notre Dame's already beaten Clemson. If Notre Dame plays Clemson super tight in the ACC title game and loses, let's call it 34 to 31. Just Yeah, for- they're in over AM, no they're doubt. In. And so you've got that going. You've got you've got Oregon out west. You've got this Ohio State thing in the Big Ten. You, you don't know what's else going to happen. So if, if you're AM, you don't need to lose a game. I think they didn't want to play. I, I think if the rumor's true, it begs the question, did you maybe say, hey, we've got a bigger problem and we can't do this because you were concerned about the competitive disadvantage, which would defeat what was what they all talked about before the year, which is, hey, we just got to get these games in. Because listen, if you don't get all the games in and you lose money off the TV contract in this season, where you're losing money at the gate, you're losing money with parking, you're losing money at concessions, you're losing money and losing money and losing money. Losing some of your TV money hurts. Sure it does. Well, and let's call it what it is. Playing less games and having one loss looks better than losing a second game. But, you know, if you lose it without Cal and Mon, you know, that will be taken into consideration like Trevor Lawrence losing with Clemson, but it's not quite the same. Oh, if, 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 if A&M were to play Ole Miss on Saturday without Kel and Mon and lose, that would be the end of their season from a, from a, it would be, it yeah. would be because I just think that there's going to be some other options outside of the league. And, okay. you know, I, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any doubt about it, but you know, who knows? And uh, it certainly, I don't know if it's true. It certainly make would make some sense. It would make some sense as to why can't they get this done? No, I look, I mean, there's not, look, there's not transparency. And this is part of what I always hyper on with college, the SEC and college football. Um, There's not the transparency and that's a big, big part of the problem. So yeah, no, it's gonna, look, it's going to come down to, you know, um, to what they're able to fit in. But yeah, no, I, I would think trying to reschedule those games, to where at least A&M would get a chance to to play would would uh, would make the sense. And yeah, I, and I just I don't know I don't know to answer your question. I don't know when LSU Alabama plays. I so mean, let's, let's look at the schedule this week because there's not much on it. Quite frankly, Ole Miss at Texas A&M may have been the most attractive game on the slate. I, I think so. Instead, you've got Florida at Vanderbilt, which is is what it is. LSU and Arkansas has a chance to be an interesting football game. Um, Arkansas back at home. I, I assume Sam Pittman will be available. Yes. Yeah, because he was positive. So since he was yes. positive, his, his is only 10 days. Uh, Ole Miss and AM's out. Kentucky at Alabama is just not an interesting contest. Tennessee at Auburn, there is a little interest mm-hmm. there. Uh, Mississippi State at Georgia is a total mismatch. Missouri at South Carolina has very little interest to anyone. Yeah, with Will gone, it takes the intrigue out of it. No, you're right. The best no, game of the weekend. It's the reason why Ole Miss A&M was 2.30 start. And what a game. What a game that would have been. It really and, you know, would be. A game Because I think Ole Miss can score on anyone. And, yep. and, and uh, they can't stop anyone. So it had a chance to be one of those kind of uh, high-scoring pinball sort of games. I think A&M is clearly the better team. And A&M was a 13-point favorite before it was taken off the board. Uh, I thought 13 may have been a dash high, but I'm not sure how Ole Miss would have stopped that running game. But it would be interesting, and certainly from a TV standpoint, and this is where CBS is is livid, Ole Miss is fast turning into entertaining television in a league where there's not a lot of entertaining television. 
Yeah, we'll just talk about them. I and the offensive teams we just mentioned, they're, there's really four good ones and three that are really high-level good. And Ole Miss is one of them. And, you know, you miss that. And, by the way, A&M would be that fourth. So you got yeah. a four, you've got two together and a, an A&M team with a lot at stake. Yeah, CBS, it's uh, it's not going well. Maybe they won't. Uh, maybe the bid, maybe it won't be that much of a bid when when uh, the contract runs out and 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 the SEC goes to uh, ABC, ESPN, maybe CBS will say we don't even want to bid on this. Oh, I think I think that's a realistic possibility. I really do. I, I think I don't, I don't know. I don't know what that's going to do for CBS and. I don't think CBS is going to be active and actively involved in, in a renegotiation. Well, they're not going to. No, I mean they 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 will be dead in the fall on. Yeah, college football Saturdays. Yeah. All right, we uh, will come back on Friday. We'll see where everything stands in terms of what the schedule looks like, whether other games get coveted or or whatnot, and uh, we'll break them down. Florida at Vanderbilt, LSU at Arkansas, which is interesting in in, in a lot of ways. Kentucky at Alabama is just Alabama holding serve. Tennessee and Auburn has some storylines. Mississippi State at Georgia. Mississippi State, uh, Mike Leach, it's not off to a great start. People are not happy with him in Starkville at this point. And then uh, Missouri at South Carolina, a game that would have, as Chris said, would have had a little intrigue. It it, it doesn't now. Uh, The the Tigers, though, haven't played but I think one game in about 30-something days. So uh, they, they, they need to play football in Columbia and they they had some concerns they had some concerns yesterday about covid as well. So we'll talk about uh, coaching searches, we'll talk about the I guess what'll be week 9 or week 10 in the SEC, week 9 in the SEC and um, we'll do that on Friday. Again our thanks to Jupiter Security, our thanks to Blue Sky, our thanks to all of you who were listening including those of you who commented in the uh, in the threads. Tracy Murray, uh, Sippy Sports Show. Thanks for uh, thanks and for thank you, Tracy. Tracy, no, no golf game for me, my friend. No, no, I'm, it's non-existent right now. We appreciate everybody joining us in the chat room. Uh, we always join us. So for Chris Landry, I'm Neil McCready. That does it for this episode of SEC Football and Beyond. We will talk to you on Friday morning. Until then, take care.